Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to see you all. Um, we are continuing our long series in Philippians. We're in, this, is my number, my, this is number 19 in our preach, preaching series. We'd had a couple of A's and B's in there as well, so I don't know what the actual number is. But we started in January. We're now in June, and we're just landing it. We've got three, three more preachers from the book of Philippians, and we will have been through it. And today we come to a little bit of a strange portion of Scripture in the book. It's from Philippians chapter 4 and uh, verse 2 and 3. Just two verses. And I, I've entitled this. You can stick the slides up, please, bro. Um, uh, agree in the Lord. Now, that's Yodia on the right, your left, and Sinkia on the other side like that. And true companion, who we don't know, is running in between and helping them to walk in un unity. And just leave that page up there for the moment. I want to read the scripture. Because in Philippians 2, 4 rather, verse 2, it says, I entreat you, Odia, I entreat, I appeal to you, and I entreat Sintia. Sintia. How do you say it? Sintichi. Sintichi, apparently in Arabic. Sintichi to agree on the Lord. I'm not going to say it like that the whole time. Yes, I, also, I ask you also, true companion, the dude in the middle, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, this is a, this is a bit of a strange detour in the book. I mean, Paul's writing this, um, this letter to the church. He's celebrating his relationship with them and partnership. You've got these great themes. There's this Christ hymn right in the middle in Philippians chapter 2 about Christ's descent and Christ's ascent. And then as he's coming into land, and there's still some important stuff to say, he, he takes this detour to speak about these two women. And maybe what happened was when Epaphroditus came to Paul in prison, he came and and Paul was saying, look, how's Euodia and Cynthia doing? And he said, hey, you know what, Paul? They actually, they're fighting, man. There's a bit of a problem in the church. They're, they're disagreeing about X, Y, Z, and now they don't even talk to each other. And it's, it's caused a bit of a division in the church. And uh, you think to yourself, like, this dude is in prison for preaching the gospel. Why burden him with some nonsense about two people in a church that are fighting, you know? Um, go for it, children, eh? <laughs> it's amazing. Um, what are they doing? <laughs> They're having races or something. Um, and, um, and, and if I was writing this letter, especially because I've written down um, there's so much joy in this letter, like why would you ah, even put this horrible thing? And I'm kind of like, maybe I'll send an SMS later. I'm just going to finish, finish the letter, you know. But Paul understands the whole tip of the iceberg thing. You know that thing where it's, there's a part that's sticking out of the water, but underneath is something massive. And I've, had, I've made this mistake before where something's come up and I've thought, ah, it's not that big a deal. And I know I should have dug a bit deeper. I know I should have got beneath the surface a little bit and, and understood what was going on. And if I did, I would have, it would have been a completely different response to it. And so Paul knows that beneath that little dissension that's going on there, this little division, there's a potential to do great damage to the church. And this was highlighted to me this week. Um, Saj and I spent some time together. We were praying. I think it was on Tuesday morning at our elders' prayer time. And he highlighted the book of Titus. And, and he said, like, really felt like it would be a good book for me to be reading through right now, which I went home and read. And then, um, a letter rather. And, and in Titus chapter 3, it says this. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Now that's radical. I warned you. I've, there's this joke. <laughs> Let me tell you this joke. This guy just gets married, 
and he's, and he's traveling along. He's picked up his new wife. It's olden days, and he's got his cart like this, and he's riding along in the cart. And uh, the donkey that's pulling them, there's two donkeys. The one donkey slips like this. And so he goes, donkey, that's warning number one. They go on a little bit like this. The donkey slips again. He says, donkey, that's warning number two. On they go, and a little while later, the donkey slips for a third time. He gets off the cart, takes out his gun, shoots the donkey, dead. Detaches him like this. His wife, his new wife, can't believe what's going on. And she says, husband, what are you doing? You can't do that. He goes, wife, that's warning number one. (laughs) And Paul says, you don't even give a third warning. You warn them once, you warn them twice, and then you have nothing more to do with them. And he goes on, he says, for such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Just to be clear. I'm not saying that about your wife, okay? Just to be absolutely clear. The point is that this is like like such a radical take about division. Paul's not like messing around. He's kind of pulling out both barrels and saying, if there's division, I'm going to take it on. And and I actually think sometimes division is harder to deal with in a church than blatant sin. If somebody comes and and you you find out that somebody's committing some whatever it is, sin, I don't want to mention them, but specifically that it's clear from the Word of God, you can see that it's sin, and they can be rebellious, or they can be repentant, and you can walk them through the process. Either way, you clear. When it comes to divisiveness, it's so hard to pin it down. People often feel so justified when they're being divisive, when they're talking about someone else. In fact, we often feel as we are dividing the church and speaking about somebody else in the body that we have the moral high ground, that actually I'm being courageous by bringing this thing up. And then when you try and confront divisive people on what they're doing, they always say, well, give me an example. Give me an example of where I've been divisive. So that when you do, they can go, yes, but, and give an, expo- an explanation for everything that you try and do. And no matter how long you talk about it, they just will never admit that they actually are being divisive. And so Paul looks at this church that he loves so much in Philippi. He, I mean, he really loves these people. Like, I, think, I, I said to the first congregation, and you guys are even better looking than the first congregation. It's amazing. But I genuinely, genuinely love this church. I love, I look across here and I see this incredible array of nationalities and cultures that are gathered together in this country and God is doing something extraordinary here. I know some of your stories, they fill my heart honestly with joy at what God is doing. And Paul felt that same love, but he saw there was a cancer creeping into the church, this cancer of division. And he says, I'm going to cut that thing out. I'm going to deal with it. And it's important enough, presumably, for Paul to mention these ladies by name. He could have said, I've heard stories that there are some people in the church that are not getting on. Please, won't you sort that out? But no, he mentions them. Imagine this. You, you're sitting there. This letter's being read out, maybe by Epaphroditus, to the whole of this church in Philippi. Um, Euodia sitting on that side there. Sintiki sitting on that side there because they don't see eye to eye. And so they, they, whatever, they always sit on the opposite sides of the hall. And then... Paul reading the, uh, the letters being read and their name comes up like um, whatever, you know. You, uh, Jeanette and, uh, and um, uh, what's your name again? No. <laughs> you mean so much to me, bro. You're like, you're tight. And so like, you sit up and you pay attention. Your name has been spoken. Like, what the heck? This is crazy. And I want to say up front, first of all, that they are, this Paul is not... Um, this is nothing against women. 
This could have been two men that Paul would have mentioned in the letter. And in fact, if anything that we take from this is that Paul is highlighting the positive role of women in the life of the church and the ministry. He says of these women that they were, they were, they were side by side with him in the gospel ministry. Paul had a way of being firm about um, the roles that God has assigned to men in the home and to uh, men and women in the church without in any way undermining women or underplaying the contribution that they're meant to take. And I think that it's one of the things that we need to continually be doing is to affirm and to celebrate the role of women in ministry, not in eldership. We believe that is a man-only role. That God, and you can come speak to me about that from Scripture. I'm 100% convinced of that we are as an eldership. But every other aspect of ministry is to be shared amongst us as men and women. And we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate who you are and the contribution that you make. And Paul's actually calling on the whole body to walk in unity. I, when, when I first read this, I thought that this is where he, st he starts on the subject. But if you go through the, the letter, you find that all the way in chapter 1, he's already starts on it. Why don't you put the next slide up, please? He says in chapter 1 and verse 27, he says, um, That I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Remember, those are the same words he uses about those two women. They work side by side with me in the gospel. He goes on in the next chapter to say, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then unpacks this incredible hymn about the humility of Christ. He wants us to walk in a way that puts the interests of other people ahead of ourselves. And I'll come to that in a moment. And then in, in verse 14 and 15, just a little bit later, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I guess there was a bit of grumbling and disputing going on amongst those two ladies and maybe others that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. It's true today as ever, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And as we um, live this out, we see it actually being a, a manifestation to the world around us. We can have such an idealistic view of the church or our, of ourselves. We think like, um, obviously, there's never fighting in any churches. Everybody always agrees because we all have Jesus in us. There's a book that was once written that we don't need leaders in the church because we all have the Holy Spirit. And I thought, like, what rock has this person been living under? Like, like, like Christians with the Holy Spirit in them fight all the time. And one of the roles of leadership is to keep us all pointed in the same direction and to deal with some of these things that go on, you know. And we're born again, but we're not perfect. That sinful nature which has been fatally wounded and cannot possibly survive is trying to drag us down as it's dying. And so from time to time, you, as I see, will find that something will happen, some, some attitude, some action from you. You go, where did that come from? Like, I, I belong to Jesus. Why would I think that about that man or that woman or whatever it is? And so there's still a, a work of God taking place inside of us, which makes it difficult at times to live together. Somebody once said this, to dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, now that's another story. <laughs> and so we've got to be alert to the things that cause offense to us. And we've got to be, um, we've got to be wise to avoid causing offense. Like there's no reason for us intentionally to hurt other people, to make it difficult for other people. But no matter how careful we are, there will be times where we get offended, where people do things or say things that offend us. And the, 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 the gist of this, um, com this conversation this morning, is, this afternoon, is actually about how you, as one who is offended, react to that offense. 
So what are some of the things that cause disagreements in the church? Sometimes it's the things that are said. And especially because we've got like so many different cultural backgrounds in our church. We've got, we got different languages. Sometimes we'll say something that we think is clear, but somebody hears something completely different. Sometimes it's the enemy that comes in anyway. I, I find even Linda and I are of the same culture. We, uh, we're, we're the same generation, and Linda will say something, and, uh, and, and it'll go like this. Or I'll say something, and it'll go like this. We just, the enemy comes in and, and distorts the conversations that are being had. Um, and and we've, got to, we've got to be sensitive to what we say. I, I think I shared this with you that the one time I was, um, I was preaching in, in one of our it was a Silicon Oasis congregation, and I, um, I was talking about the glory of God, and, and I and imagine somebody coming into the scene and, and like seeing God for the first time and going, and I used a French phrase for it, like, and I won't say the phrase again because now I know what it means. Later on, I'm watching a movie, and it was, it was French with the subtitles underneath like this. And I, the, word that, the phrase that I used came up, and underneath it said, it said the F word. <laughs> I had shouted out the F word if you, the, in French. I didn't know that. It was like, uh, how can this be? I'm a pastor, for goodness sake. And the truth is, there may have been some people sitting in the congregation that day. There probably were. Quite a few of them. They knew what the word meant. And at that moment, thought, um, it's over. How can this guy, look at, look, how can that stuff come out of his mouth and they would have left? And should I have been more careful? Of course, I should have. And Linda did help me to correct myself later on. And, um, and could somebody have taken offense with that? Of course they could have. Um, but we've got, to be, we've got to be aware and careful that we understand where those things come from. Sometimes we, get, we take offense from things that are not said. The thank you that should have come, the appreciation for a gift that was made or whatever it is. Um, we just, somebody's put in a, a great amount of work and you go and you thank the person next to them and you don't thank them. Or you just don't notice them. You walk past them because you're busy and you don't say hello. And like you normally would have, but you didn't at that time and people take offense. Like, why didn't they say hello to me? Is there something wrong with me? Do I stink? People come to me all the time and they say things to me like, no, and this person did this. And I go, like, you're mad. I know that person. There's no possible way they intended anything by it. But for the person that was slighted, it feels like a mortal wound and offense creeps in. Sometimes things are misheard or there's a misunderstanding. We had a situation recently where something was said to somebody and it was intended to come like this and they heard this over here. So the person, it was, spoke, it was an issue about trust and this person heard, you don't trust me. You are still judging me for the mistakes I made in the past, and you think that I'm acting in that same way. And so when we had the conversation about it, and the person that had spoken was able to explain what was going on, the person go, oh, thank goodness, but they had stewed on it for a week. They had picked up an offense because they'd misheard it, and over the week it had got worse and worse, and then they had spoken in a way that then wounded the person. Like, because when we react out of that thing, we want to get them back. Hey, we want to have a little bit of revenge in that moment. Oh, you're going to say this about me. Let me tell you what I think about this. And came in hard like that. Thank goodness we can say sorry and thank goodness we can restore those things. But, but that's one of the ways that disagreements come. Sometimes it's an expectation gap. My expectation is yeah. Your expectation is yeah. And that gap creates an offense. We had a friend of ours. It was a, her love language was giving of gifts. And she was amazing. She was always buying things and making things and giving them to people. And she would do this year after year after year. And then eventually a situation happened where um, she just, because she wasn't receiving back, she didn't give to receive, 
But her expectation was, this is how you show love. So if I'm showing love and I'm setting the example, how come nobody's showing love back to me in this way? And then they got so offended, they end up leaving the church. It might be the same thing. You invite people over to dinner for your house and they don't invite you back again. They had no, there's just an expectation gap between people. The way that we treat different situations is different. And so we need to be conscious of that. Sometimes we pick up an offense on somebody else's behalf. This is, this is like so common. Noel does, says something to me, and so I go to Ellen. I say, Ellen, can I just share something with you? about? I, I just need your advice about what Noel said to me. So, you know, we, we, Noel told me that I was a donkey and this thing and the next thing. Ellen goes, what, Rob? I love you. You're amazing. Noel must be an evil and a wicked human being to be able to say such things about you. And in Ellen's heart, now he's offended with Noel. So it's not just, now I've, whether I've heard it right or not, or there's a reason for it. Now, and so what happens is, um, and I think maybe that was like what happened with Yodia and Sinkia. Maybe um, Sinkia's daughter was part of the worship team, and she was you know, a young woman, and she had those very tight um, jean short things on like this, and she thought it was appropriate to be in the worship team like that. I'm glad to see some of you realize that that's not the best pair of shorts to be wearing on the worship team. And so Yodia, trying to be a kind and compassionate lady, went to Cynthia's daughter and said to her, um, Stephanie, because that would have been her name, obviously. <laughs> Stephanie, baby, you can't be wearing shorts like that. Um, even the men that have pure thoughts are going to be led astray by you. You've you got to serve your brothers a little bit better than this. Won't you just wear a dress or something like that? Then she gets offended. She goes to her mom and says, Mom, Euodia came to me, and, uh, and I don't want to be a part of the worship team anymore. What's happened? No, she just told me that I dressed like a beep, beep, beep. And, uh, <laughs> and so, like, that's it. I'm done with worship. I'm not going to be part of the worship team. In fact, I'm not even sure I love Jesus anymore. It's over like this. So, Euodia, then Cynthia is now like, Euodia, you, oh. And then, then she sees Euodia talking to another woman, and the woman walks away with a little bit of a, a confused look on her face, and she goes, I know, that's exactly what she does. She goes around the church causing trouble with everybody like this. And so the thing begins to grow and spread, and we pick up a fence from other people. And maybe you have got different examples of how these disagreements come in. Maybe in your marriage, think back to situations where disagreements have occurred, or with your children, or in a church you've been in, in the past. But Paul calls us to unity, and he actually says unity is so important that you need to strive for it even at a personal cost. Even if it costs you, you need to keep the unity. And he's, he speaks about, there are a few reasons, Just you can go to the next slide. There are a few reasons in which we go to the, go back one slide. Like, bro, I spent hours making that slide. I just skip over my slides. See, there are reasons why disagreements occur. <laughs> I'm going to deal, I'll show you, we'll deal with this thing together in a moment. But unity is a high value. You can now go to the next slide after you've seen that incredibly beautiful slide there. Um, it's because it aligns, unity is alignment. It aligns with God. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect union all the time. And we are supposed to be like God. We created in His image to live out his image. And in John 17, 11, Jesus says, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And so we align with God when we walk in unity, and we are out of alignment when we're not in unity. It's also a demonstration of God life in us when we walk in unity. 
In John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not if you sing really loudly in worship, or if you um, raise your hands, or if you, you know, give money away, or if you do this. No, no. If you love one another. How do people that are so diverse come together in genuine love for each other, other than by the fact that Christ has renewed our hearts and made something new in us? And then um, the third one is we are, we are productive or fruitful when we're in unity. Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when the brothers dwell in unity, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore, or His blessing and life forevermore. And so if we want to see blessing in our life, there needs to be unity. If there is disunity in your marriage, there will not be blessing. If there's disunity with your children, there will not be blessing. If there's disunity in the church, there will not be blessing. We had a situation with our, our family a little while ago, and I said to, um, to the boys, I was saying we did with one of the boys, and I said, there cannot be even a hairbreadth of division in us as a family. You know, like the beginning of a wedge, the thinnest point, like that where it's still as thin as a hair, that thing needs to be dealt with. I don't want to wait until it's gone that far in. We just, there will not be any of that because there cannot be blessing where there's division. And so we understand that. And so unity must be guarded. D.L. Moody said, I've never yet known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. Dang, how heavy is that? So we want to see God's Spirit at work in the midst of us, in us and through us. Then friends, we have to figure out how to walk in unity. And I don't think there is disunity. That's the beautiful thing about preaching a series is we've got to this place. This is where God is speaking about. I believe it's prophetic. I believe it prepares us to be able to hold it. So how do we maintain unity? If unity is such a high value, how do we maintain it in the midst of disagreements? Number one, oh, what a beautiful slide. Number one <laughs> is that we honor each other. Um, imagine these two ladies sitting in church and suddenly their names get picked out. Imagine like I'm preaching and, I, and I'm preaching about division, and I, and I call out your name. You know, I go, Royston, Ellen, I, I'm begging you, Royston. I'm begging you, Ellen, please sort out your differences. And Sarah, fellow yoke, fellow whatever you are, won't you help these two men to sort out their differences? I mean, that's, that's awkward, eh? Man, your name, and now for all of eternity, their name are known as the two that were, they were disagreeing with each other. And yet Paul doesn't write and say, I, I command as an apostle of Jesus, the Most High, that you sort out your differences. Or he doesn't come along and say, Euodia, you are wrong. I need you to go back to Cynthia and apologize to her. He, he appeals to them. He, he honors them as people. I'm, I'm appealing to you, Royston. I'm appealing to you, Al. Sort it out. Just figure it out. Agree in the Lord is what he says. And um, this, is a, this is a serious issue. So Paul doesn't talk in vague generalities. So often we want to beat around the bush. Hey, I've got a friend. I'm asking for a friend. And we tell the story. No, no. Be open. Be honest. Be vulnerable with people. Have that conversation. And Paul loves them. He's, you can see that, hey, in the way that he writes about them. These are my, they worked side by side with me in the gospel. They stood with me. Uh, there's deep affection in what he says. And, the, and the, the point of dealing with differences is never to humiliate the other person. Like one of the things that we learned early on about disciplining our children was some friends came to our house and uh, we believe in disciplining our children by spanking them um, firmly but 
in all the right ways on their bottoms. And so they said to us, don't do it in front of everybody else. Take them to the bathroom because it's a private place. They're not being humiliated when they're being spanked. They're being disciplined. And so in, in the way that we deal with each other, we don't want to humiliate people. We, we, as much as possible, we don't want to be doing it in a way that exposes them. We want to actually bring it to the place where it can be dealt with. Number two, we don't want to humiliate people, but number two, we need to walk in humility. We need to be humble. To be humble is to gratefully recognize our dependence upon the Lord. It's not a sign of weakness or of timidity or fear. It's an indication that we know where our true strength and our value is, that it comes from God. And so I don't need to be protecting myself all the time. I can come with humility into that situation. And um, I, I have this justice bent inside of me. I hate it when I'm treated unjustly. I'm a little bit more gracious when you treat it unjustly, but when I'm treated unjustly, if somebody says to, accuses me of something I didn't do, some sort of red button goes off in my head, like this, and, um, huh? That's true. My, my wife knows it's true. So if you're right, I'll, I'll, oh, I'll admit it, like 100%, I'm sorry, you're right, but if you were wrong, I'll, the problem is that actually that is a good characteristic to have towards other people and not good to turn on yourself. I must fight for justice for you. I must fight for justice for the unborn. I must fight for justice for the oppressed. But I shouldn't be fighting for justice for myself. And there's a few reasons. Number one is I'm not always right. It's hard to believe. There have been a few occasions in my life where I've had an argument and it turned out later on that I was wrong. And, uh, but, it, but it happens. Paul and Barnabas have this, this um, separation over a young guy by the name of John Mark. So John Mark had dropped them on a trip Paul said, I can't rely upon him. John um, Barnabas reckons, I, I think there's a calling on this young man's life. We be careful what we do with him now. Paul says, whatever, he's not coming with me. And they had such a sharp disagreement, it says they split. Paul heading up overland, Paul uh, Barnabas on the sea. Later on, though, Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. Get John Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Ah, Paul might have been wrong. Maybe Barnabas did exactly the right thing at that moment. Maybe Paul was right. I don't know. My point is this. We don't always know whether we actually are right or not. We have to be careful in many of the situations that we fight for that other information might come out down the line. It's not the same thing as dealing with a sinful situation. Paul was clear about that. If there was a sin and it was evidently a sin, he would deal with the thing radically. This is talking about disagreements between people. And so we've got to be careful of what we're fighting for. And um, even if you are 100% right, we want to walk in humility and, uh, because God is not actually calling us to be in agreement. He's not calling us to agree on everything. I might think, I mean, I know this is a stupid example, and I'm, I'm using intentionally a stupid example. I might think Liverpool is the best soccer team in the world. You might giggle at that because you have no understanding about soccer <laughs> and believe that Man United which is nicknamed the devils. How could that be? <laughs> that they are the best soccer team in the world. Now, the Bible doesn't say we need to agree on that. It says we need to agree in the Lord. In other words, on the things that matter, we agree on, not on the things that don't matter, even though Liverpool is obviously the best <laughs> soccer team in the world. Secondly, justice belongs to the Lord. He will vindicate you. So often we want to fight, like, oh, I need to prove that I'm right. Just let it go. When, when the right time comes, God will vindicate you if you are. You can, like, this I've learned slowly. 
but let it go, and in the right time, God will vindicate you. And if not in this life, in the life to come, He will. Thirdly, is unchecked disagreements can, can become incredibly dangerous and destructive conflicts. There are so many times, well, both the times Linda and I have had a disagreement, on both those occasions in our 20 years. The, huh? 30 years, baby. Oh, my goodness. We started dating 36 and a half years ago. Isn't that crazy, eh? Um, and Linda's only 35 years old, so that's amazing. <laughs> um, but we're, like, Linda's done something wrong. No, no, Linda's done something wrong. <laughs> Definitely wrong, like, in any court of law, before the Lord, before the angels, like, no question. It's like, she did something wrong. But then I, in wanting to justify myself or, or have justice, will then react in a way that's worse than the thing that she did that was wrong. And then she responds to me, and then we just, this, this disagreement becomes this, like this Nap Napoleonic wars between us in our home, you know. And then I get to the point where I, I wish I'd never said anything. Like, the issue that we were fighting about is nothing compared to the conflict that is now being created. And so it, we just ha there's a certain humility that we need to walk in when we have disagreement. Thirdly, in terms of the way forward, is that we, we do it one-on-one. -on -one. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, and this obviously applies to sisters as well, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, how's this? You have gained a brother. Isn't that powerful? Imagine getting a brother. Imagine receiving a sister. And if you will, go to them one-on-one. -on -one. And one of the reasons I think the Bible tells us to do this is because we've got to check that, that what's going on. If I go to Jeanette and I say to her, Jeanette, you said something yesterday that proved to me that you are a wicked and evil person and that I should have nothing to do with you. What chance is there of actually resolving that situation if I talk like that? But if I go to Jeanette and I say, Jeanette, you said something yesterday, and I, I felt like it was this, but I just want to check with you if that's what you meant. And so, Jeanette, you said to me that I was um, uglier than a donkey. What, I'm, I'm not sure I understand what you mean by that, Jeanette. Then you could explain it. And Jeanette could say one of two things. She could say, no, no, Rob, I said you like a donkey, and I think donkeys are the handsomest creatures on the planet. <laughs> And you've completely misunderstood me. Like, like, it was a compliment. Oh, Jeanette, thank goodness. That I, I feel so much better. I mean, that makes sense, obviously. Or Jeanette might go, I was having a bad day. Patrick had missed going to um, paintball, and he was grumpy, and so he had shouted at me. And so then when I came in and you said that, I just, I, I'm, I'm really sorry, Rob. Please, can you forgive me for it? And so then we do, if we do it like that, we find a way to bring restoration without it bursting and into, into the flames of, of, of conflict between us. And the goal is not agreeing in everything. Paul doesn't say, I want you to agree in everything. I don't want Euodia, you agree with Syntyche, and Syntyche, whatever her name is, you agree with Euodia. That's not what he's saying. He says, agree in the Lord. Actually, in God, there are bigger things. We can, we can settle those differences. I don't like your hairstyle, Bob. Where's Bob? You know what I mean? Like, there's things that we disagree on. You don't like the way that I dress or the shoes that I wear or the things that... There are things that we, are, we disagree about. Like, your food might seem strange to me. Like I said, when I went to Lebanon, they gave me spinal cord to eat on a roll. Like, what is going on with those people? But don't be offended. I'm not offended. In the Lord, we're in agreement. In the things that matter, we're in agreement. Rigby Wallace, a friend of ours, once said this, We can journey towards consensus, but you don't journey towards unity. So even when we disagree on things that are relatively important, 
We can journey towards finding a way that we can work together on it, but we can't journey towards unity, which is an attitude of the heart. It's just a way that I see you, that you are a precious and valuable person. I want you blessed. I want you refreshed. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, that when we pay, pray people out of the church, we don't always agree with the decision to leave. I mean, that's a reality, isn't it? So some people might come and say, we feel like God's called us from the church, and we, think, like, we don't think this is the right decision. Maybe there's an attitude in them or something that God is wanting to deal with or whatever it is, whatever the reason for them to leave is that we don't agree with. I still want them blessed if they go. I don't want to go, oh, well, if you're going to leave us, then curse you. I mean, that's insane. That's, that's, that's the most unbiblical attitude you could possibly have. I still want them blessed. I still think it's the wrong decision, but I want them blessed. I want them to walk in the fullness of what God has for their life. And I remember that I might not always be right. And so there's a certain humility in the way that I process the decision they make as well. And so we want that. Lastly is um, community, that we allow other people to help us. In Matthew 18, it goes on, and the next verse to say in verse 16, But if he does not listen, this brother, take two, sorry, one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, this is not a serious sin issue that's going to cause people to be in conflict. But Paul does write and says to my true partner, help these two women. And it might be that there's somebody else that can help us with the conversation. That doesn't mean that this is an excuse for you when you've got an offense with somebody. So say, for example, Casey, I've, I've, I've picked up some disagreement with him. So I go speak to Andrew and I say, Andrew, can I speak to you about what Casey's done and that's hurt me? Andrew's response should be, la, 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 until my mouth stops moving. And when it does, he says, I don't want to hear it, Rob. If you've got an issue with Casey, go speak to him first. If you can't sort that out, then I'm here for you and I'll go together with you. Or if you, if you are, and there are situations like this, maybe the person that you need to speak to is a bit more, is a, is more powerful than you for whatever reason is that in your perception or, or you're scared of them for whatever reason. Do you know what I mean? Like that can happen that you take somebody along with you that can help you have that conversation. But then you do it in a way where the goal of it is restoration. There are times where leaders must come together to enable that restoration to take place and deal with division. Why the team that are doing the communion just hand that out for us now and, and the worship team come up? I want to finish with this. At the end of that, those two verses, Paul uses this phrase to describe those two women and the guy that's going to help them, and others that have worked with Paul, when he says this, those whose, whose names are in the book of life. I heard the story about um, during the American Civil War on the, the Potomac River, there were, there were Union um, soldiers on the one side of the river, and there were Confederate soldiers on the other side of the river. And there was a lull in hostilities between them, and the, the, um, the one army's band began to play a song like this. And so then the, on the other side of the river, the other army's band began to play a song. And so this, this kind of competition between the two sides of the army were going as they, as they played these songs. And then one of the bands started to play Home Sweet Home, which I don't know that song. But it says, the guy that witnesses says that the, the musical competition ceased at that moment. And the other band began to play the same song as well. There's no place like home. And in, in a similar way, the church, in spite of our many differences, um, is bound together by the strong link that we ha- are all going home. We're all going home to the same home, that we have a same destination. 
whose names are written in the book of life. No matter what else we have that differentiates us from somebody else, that person is a brother or a sister in Christ. We are part of the same family. And we will one day leave these shores and go to be with the Lord. And so I want to ask you a question as we break bread this morning. I want to read a scripture as well from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says this. So my question is, are you at odds? Do you have a broken relationship? Have you picked up an offense? Is there unforgiveness in your heart towards anybody else in this body? I want to say actually, anybody else in the body of Christ. And then I want to extend it even further. Have you got an offense or unforgiveness towards anybody? But particularly to the body, because Paul writes and he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread or one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Is that an amazing picture? I mean, I wish we could have given you pieces of one big loaf of bread today. It would have been a great way to demonstrate that. But if we had one loaf of bread and we broke it off, and all of us ate of that one loaf, which is symbolically what we are doing, we reminded that we are part of one body. You might disagree with this person. You might disagree with that person. But we are part of one body together.